Alrighty. So as you guys know, or maybe you know, if you're new here, then you don't know. Um, we're glad that you are here if you're visiting in such unusual circumstances. Um, but we've been going through First Peter, and uh, last week, Steve, uh, one of our elders here, he finished out First Peter chapter 1. And so we've been walking through First Peter on Sundays, but we've also been trying to encourage you, if you have a family, if you have little kids, to go through First Peter, Where Does Hope Come From, on Right Now Media. I don't know if you guys are doing that. If you have a family, I strongly encourage you to do it. It's excellent. Um, Phil Vischer really is a, a gifted teacher, and I, I'm learning things as well. Um, if you don't have Right Now Media account access, let us know. We can give that to you for free. It's basically like Netflix for um, studying the scriptures. And so my kids have been enjoying it. I hope that you guys are enjoying it as well. So just to kind of catch you up to speed, if you're new or if you just have been zoning out for the last five weeks, First Peter is written by Peter, right? That's why it's called First Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' main apostles. He was a key leader in the early church. Um, you can read through the Gospels, and you can learn all about Simon Peter. And then you can read in the book of Acts, and you can see how God used Peter in those early days of the church. First Peter, as we saw in the, our first week when we looked at just verse number one, First Peter is written to believers who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And so if you feel like you are in an unusual situation because you're meeting with your discipleship group over Zoom or you're meeting in these kind of dispersed areas, realize you have a lot to relate to with First Peter because he's writing to the believers who are chosen and loved by God, but they are dispersed, scattered throughout this area, which we would say is modern-day Turkey. And so why did Peter write this letter? Well, Peter wrote this letter to encourage believers to look forward to the future hope that they have secure for them in heaven because of what Jesus accomplished as times get difficult. You see, because at this point in time, as persecution is on the, on the rise and has been ever since Jesus was walking the earth, though these believers may die for their faith, these believers may be hated by their family, they may lose jobs, and all, they may lose property and all of these sorts of things, Peter wants them to know that they can have comfort because of a future hope that is waiting for them where their, their, their husband, their groom, Jesus, will receive them with open arms. Peter wants the disciples to know that they can live and die with hope because the gospel secures future for them. And he also wants them to know, and this is consistent with all of the writings of the New Testament where Paul often talks about faith, hope, and love. He wants them to know that their future hope produces what today? Love today. That we are in this because of faith and we have a future hope of what our faith promises us. And because of that future hope, you can produce love today. Because if you know what tomorrow will bring, you can live selflessly today. And frankly, you can also suffer today because you can continue to move on. And so last week, Steve talked about some of these things as he finished up chapter 1. He talked about how we should have an eternal perspective, a holy perspective, a, a hopeful perspective, and that we walk in love towards one another. And so if you think about those different things, to be filled with hope during dark times, to be filled with love, to have your eyes fixed on eternity and not be distracted, that's a tall order, isn't it? That I think we can say if we listen to that and if we've reflected on that, 
no matter where you are on the spectrum of your walk with the Lord, like, I want that. I want to be a loving person. I want to be a hopeful person. I want to be eternally minded and those sorts of things. But the question is, how do I get there? How do I get there? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I said to Gina yesterday, I've been very melancholy for the last few weeks, and I think it's because I look out on life and I feel like, like what else could possibly go wrong? <laughs> like, it feels like everything that we used to take comfort in is just disappearing, whether that's the, the simple blessing of having a building or whether it's um, being able to send your kids to school, right? These different things, we look at these blessings, having childcare, right? We, we think about these things, and everything is just getting stripped away. And so I wouldn't say that I feel more loving today than I did a year ago. I wouldn't say that I feel more hopeful at least not when I look out on the world around us. And so how do I grow in my faith? How do I grow as a Christian? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today as we look at 1 Peter and we launch into chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know, um, when you read the Bible, you have to look for little grammatical hints. And sometimes we're so accustomed to just speaking that we don't notice these things. But you have to force yourself to slow down when you're reading. And one of those little hints is that word, the first word in verse 1, it's the word so, or so then. Uh, it's one of those hints that wants you to, to realize that the author is transitioning from explaining a concept to now explaining an action. When we were studying Greek, the professor used to say, the indicative always comes before the imperative. Now, that's a fancy way of saying that when you read the New Testament especially, God teaches a concept, and then he explains because of that concept, this is therefore how you live. So, because you are loved by God, love one another. Concept, action. It's not love one another, so you're loved by God. No, it's you are loved, therefore, as an overflow of an identity and a reality that is rooted in God and not in you, this is therefore the appropriate way forward. And so Peter begins this section by saying, so, or therefore. And then if you notice this, and this is the type of stuff you need to start doing in your, in your Bible, get a different colored pen or a different colored pencil that you just do for this, Peter gives two imperatives, or if it's been a while since you studied grammar, he gives two commands, and you should circle both of them because that's what Peter wants you to get out of these verses, and these are the two commands that Peter gives. He says, put away, and he says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Those are the two imperatives or the commands that Peter is pointing out. Now, we are, we are lucky here because in that second command, Peter tells us why to long for the pure spiritual milk. He says, long for it so that you may grow. 
And so Paul gives us the, or Peter gives us the command, and he also gives us the reason for the command. But in that first verse, this is where the chapter breaks, don't necessarily act as your friend. In that first command, he doesn't tell us why, he simply tells us to put off these different things. And so in order to really understand why I need to put off, like you need a reason, why you need to put off deceit and malice and envy and hypocrisy, we need to actually go back. And so Steve talked about this last week, and so we're going to just breeze through these last few verses, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. There's a command. You should circle it. Love one another earnestly. That's how you love, from a pure heart, how you love. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice. So that's the way that it flows. So Peter makes this clear imperative command In verse 22, he says, love one another earnestly. Earnestly is how. That's the the posture of your love for one another. And then surrounding that command, he gives a few reasons as to why you should embrace genuine love. And this is what he says. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth and having been born again, by the imperishable seed, which is the word. See, these two modifiers that we see, having purified, having been born again, those two modifiers are actually parallels of the same thing that, as Peter is going to explain in verses 24 and 25, when he quotes, all flesh is like grass. So follow Peter's, I know I keep saying Paul, but, you know, they should have had different names. They don't begin with P. Um, So think about what Peter's logic is. He says truth is the imperishable seed, which is the living word that made you holy or purified and gave you rebirth. Now compare that to men whose words are, well, they fall like the grass and they, they burn up and they wither and they die. That sounds a lot like perishable. So in other words, man's words are perishable, but the word of God is imperishable. It remains forever. And since it is imperishable, it is perpetually alive. And since it is alive, it can accomplish a living work as your living hope. And so he's saying that the imperishable living hope, which is truth, is the abiding word of God. And then in that final verse, he says, which is the good news preached to you. And so all of these things are parallels of the same exact concept. The imperishable word, the truth, the abiding word of God, the the imperishable seed, the living word of God, the good news, all of these things are parallels of the same exact concept, which is this, the word. And specifically how the word points to the gospel, either forward or backward. It's all about the gospel. So essentially, if I was going to summarize what Peter just said, he says this. You have believed the gospel, and it changed you. 
I want you to picture that you in your natural man are a cadaver. You are dead physically, dead emotionally, dead spiritually. And then Peter says that God takes an imperishable seed and he plants it in your soul. And it's growing in this body of death. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. And guess what? That seed grows and it begins to just expand and grow. But you don't experience the fruition of it because it's still growing in a cadaver. But that living hope, that imperishable seed has been planted within us. And he who began the good work by putting the seed within you will bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6. Peter says, you have believed the gospel, and it changed you from the inside out. Therefore, it is time to start living differently as an overflow of the work of the gospel in your life. I love the way Phil Vischer said it in the kids program. Um, He said, God changes our hearts, but it takes practice to change your life. God changes your heart, but it takes practice to change your daily life. And so now we get back to verse 1. So, because you've been born again, live differently. Therefore, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, if you have ever been a nursing mother, you know what it is to annoyingly have your infant constantly want to nurse. Long for the pure spiritual milk, so that, that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And so returning to these verses, we realize that the command in verse 1 to put off is a parallel with the command in what? Verse 22, when he says to love one another, because each of these things are the opposite of love. And they're specifically interpersonal sins, aren't they? And so paralleling, love one another. How do I love, Peter? What does it look like to love, Peter? He says, put off malice. Malice, defined, is planning to do evil. If you're planning to do evil, guess what? You're not loving people, okay? Deceit. Deceit is defined as intentionally concealing or misrepresenting the truth to another person. If you're doing that, you are not loving one another earnestly, are you? Hypocrisy, to intentionally deceive someone by having your words not line up with your behavior. That is not earnest, genuine love. Envy, to be resentful of someone because of what they have that you don't. Slander, the crime of intentionally damaging someone's reputation with falsehood. How do you love? By removing, a great place to begin is by removing these things from your life. And guess what? This is, requires you to practice. It requires you to practice. Because if you just sit around and you say, Lord... That guy's a giant idiot. I don't want to slander him, but man, he sure is an idiot, right? That's not practicing. Do you realize all of these activities are things you need to choose to do? 
You need to choose to cut your sentence off and stop slandering. You need to choose in the middle of planning deceit about how you're going to rob your neighbor. You need to choose to stop. And this is consistent, by the way, with what the scripture teaches about love. Because 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, keeps no record of wrongs. All of those things are what? Choices. Every aspect of 1 Corinthians 13 is a choice. It's not, as Steve would say, it's not driven by goo. I just love you so much, and therefore I just have no desire to. No, you have to choose. People who have been married for a long period of time, you know that there are days when you need to choose to love your spouse. If you have children, you know there are days when you need to choose to love your children, right? You need to choose these things. Jesus chooses to love the Father by obeying him despite the fact that he didn't want to drink from the cup of God's wrath. As DC Talk said in the last millennium, love is a verb. Okay? Are you guys following me? So at the end of chapter 1, we see this reality. God changed us. We're reborn. And then Peter begins to explain how we keep on changing. This is the first point, okay? If you haven't, if you've zoned out, listen to me now. Point, yeah, listen up. Point number one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> point number one. I needed to practice not making babies cry. Point number one. If you want to see change, if you want to see change, you need to practice obeying Jesus. If you want to see change as a believer, that's the key part of this. If you want to see change, you need to practice obeying Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. Keep practicing. You will get better. You will get better. Don't think that you are just a passive player. Our faith is an active faith. We are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, because God is a merciful God, and he is the initiator and the completer, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the faith you have is an active faith. That's what James is writing about in the entire book of James. So if you want to see change, you need to practice. But that's not all you need. That's one thing. But then Peter gives, guess what? A second command. A second command. A second imperative. And that is long for or crave the pure spiritual milk. Well, what's that about? Well, remember, at the end of chapter 1, there was all of those parallels for the same concept. Pure spiritual milk is just another parallel of the same thing. Pure spiritual milk, the gospel, the imperishable seed, the word, the good news of what Jesus accomplished, the message of redemption. You need it. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to meditate on the gospel. You need to long for the gospel. When you fail, you don't just wallow. No, you preach the gospel to yourself, and you remember that but by the grace of God, 
Otherwise, you'd be a mess, and you might be a mess right now, but it has never been by works so that no man can boast about how awesome he is at obeying Jesus. Because you know what? Nobody was better at obeying the law than Paul. And he says, I was the chief of all sinners. Don't deceive yourself that because you love the Lord your God with your hands, that you also love him with your heart and your mind and your strength. God is infinitely holy. And if he convicted you of all of your sin right now, we would explode. He is gracious. The same way you don't yell at your three-year-old for being incapable of tying their shoes, but if your 20-year-old has a problem with it, you might get frustrated, okay? There's a process of maturing in the Christian life that we're supposed to grow up. Not just grow old, but grow up. And how do you grow? By sustenance, the Word. Listen to me. The Word is how you began this journey. Do you realize that? You say, well, no, I began this journey by faith. No, you began this journey by the word. Jesus is the word. He spoke the world into existence. We already see that here, but we see in the rest of scripture, right? The word was creating things from nothing. The word stepped into the darkness and created the light. The word comes and is proclaimed to you, and then the word does something within you as that imperishable seed is planted within a body of death. The word is how we began this journey, someone proclaiming the word to me, someone proclaiming who Jesus is to me. The word was what began this journey, and listen, the word is what we need on this journey to grow and mature. Notice, if, you're, if you were observant, you might have noticed that Peter says this very strange thing, that you may grow into salvation. What does that mean? Well, in the New Testament, salvation is both a moment and a destination. It's both. The Word of God says very clearly that without sanctification, you will not be saved. There's been many theological discussions about what that means, I would say it means that true faith perseveres. True faith grows as opposed to false faith like the second soil and the third soil that bears no fruit and didn't have a root. True faith grows. Think of it this way. Life begins as the egg is fertilized, but if you sever the umbilical cord while a baby is growing, it will not live. And if a child doesn't receive adequate nutrition, it will be malnourished. And it is possible to starve to death before a person reaches physical maturation. Now, don't overthink this too much because every metaphor will fall flat. But the point is this. Your spiritual life begins by the word of God. A command from the Father to draw you to the Son. A command from the Father for the dead to come to life. It is nourished by the word. We grow into maturity by the word of God working in us and through us. No wonder that to be filled with the Spirit, Paul says in Colossians, is to let the word of God dwell within you richly, permeating, abiding, saturating your very being. No wonder the psalmist says that if you don't want to sin against the Lord, then you must hide the word in your heart 
that you might not sin against him. No wonder Psalm 1 says that to be planted in the word is to be like a tree planted next to a river so that the tree is strong and its leaves are always green and it bears fruit in the appropriate season because some seasons you won't see the fruit, but the leaves remain green. Listen, you need the word more desperately than you need food. You need the word to begin this journey. You need the word to grow on this journey. You need the word implanted within to be watered and nourished so that it grows. And remember, the farmer is waiting. Jesus is the farmer in James 5. You need the word more than you need bread. You need the word more than you need life. Indeed, a life without the word is not a life at all. It's actually death. If you want to see change in your life, those of you who have been stuck in the same habitual patterns, guess what? That makes you like all of us who 30 years later, we wonder how on earth we're digging up the same dirty laundry year after year. But God says, little children, I don't want you to sin, but when you sin, you have an advocate. That's our hope. If you want to see change, you need to practice obeying Jesus. And if you want to see change, you need to long for the gospel the way a newborn longs for milk. Do you long for the word like that? Moms, especially moms, I want you to think back on those days of nursing that baby, how that baby needs to nurse to eat, needs to nurse to nap, needs to nurse to be comforted. Do you long for the word like that, to be fed, to be nourished, to be rested, to be comforted when you're upset? Long for the word. So the question is this, how do I grow as a Christian? How do I grow? You grow by longing for the word and practicing the word. What's another way of saying that? Guys, the Bible is so consistent, it's almost funny. It's Shema. For those of you who have gone through the hub, the Hebrew word for hear, which, by the way, is also the same Hebrew word for obey. How do you grow? By hearing and obeying, by hearing and receiving, and implementing, by practicing. Guys, this is the same exact thing God said to the Jews in Deuteronomy 6. Hear obey, and obey, Israel, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And you will pass this on to the next generation, and you'll talk about it as you get up and as you go down and as you go out and as you come in, and you're going to tie it on your wrist, and you're going to tie it on your forehead, and you're going you're gonna to write it on your doorpost and on your gates. So it's always before you to hear and obey the word. That's what you need. That's how you grow. Not by Christian activities, by hearing and obeying the word, by practicing the gospel. Listen, what happens if you eat and you aren't active? What happens if you're active and you don't eat? You wither away. We need both. You need to eat and to be active. Are you spiritually eating? 
Are you spiritually acting? When was the last time the Word of God spoke so clearly to you by the Spirit? And if I were to sit down at this table with you and ask you, what is God teaching you? What is he revealing? How is Jesus being made manifest in your life that you're, you're discovering him more and deeper and you're growing to love him differently? And what would you say? Sometimes we can hear without listening. Jesus said that his people were always hearing without perceiving. As parents, we say, you're not listening. It's going in one ear and out the other. Listen, we can hear God's voice and not listen. It's a dangerous place to be. And we can clearly hear his command and refuse to do it. It's an even more dangerous place to be. Look, I want to grow. I don't want to just grow old. I want to grow up in Jesus. I want you to grow. Guys, we don't know what's going to happen in our country. And if I watch the news too much, I get so cynical that I think about maybe moving to Afghanistan, which is one of the countries we're allowed to travel to, apparently. It has a green check mark. I looked at every country in the world the other day because I was like, get me out of this place. I guess I'll move to Albania. That's got a green check mark. If, if you can relate to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some honest truths here. Church as we know it, I don't think it will ever go back to normal because culture changes. And by the time the government says you can go back to normal, guess what? Culture is going to be so dramatically impacted that church will never feel the same way that it did. I am fully convicted of the fact, I think it's a fact, I'm convicted of it, that if you're clinging to the old wineskin, you are going to be disappointed. Because the reality is we do not know when persecution will fully come. But if you are a Bible-believing and a Bible-practicing Christian, you will increasingly become fringe to everyone. You will be fringe to liberals. You will be fringe to Christian nationalists. You will be fringe to conservatives. You will be fringe to centrists. You will, if you hear and obey the word, be increasingly strange to everybody else on the planet. I don't know when persecution will break out, but I know this. We're supposed to be like a starfish and not like a spider. If you cut off a spider's head, do you know what happens? It dies. If you cut off a starfish's arm, do you know what happens? It grows back, and it can even multiply. Okay? The only way you, listen to me now, because there are people who have forsaken their faith because of a virus. And the only way you will continue to thrive in the midst of a crooked, delusional generation is if you hear, you hear and obey the word personally. And if as a family, fathers, if you know how to lead your kids and your wife to hear and obey the word of God as a family, and you teach your kids to hear and obey the word of God, because that is the only thing we have. Sidebar, you need to hear, you need to obey. That's how you grow. How do you grow? 
by hearing and obeying the Word of God. Listen, God changes our hearts, but it takes practice to change your life. A life dedicated to hearing and applying, hearing and practicing, hearing and obeying the Word of God, the gospel, you need daily bread. If you are not in the daily habit of hearing and applying, dwelling on, meditating on the Word of God, I would implore you to please start. Not as a law or a rule, but because I care about your spiritual vitality. I don't care whether it's a chapter a day or a verse a day or five chapters a day. I personally loathe reading plans because I feel like they're telling me what to do and I have stick it to the maniosis. But you do whatever you want to do to hear and obey Jesus. Listen, the bookmarks that are in the foyer are designed to teach you how to do that. The trifolds that are in the foyer are designed to do that. These big blue rack cards over here by Bob are designed to teach you to do that. All of this is designed to teach you how to hear, how to obey, how to share. But we can't do it for you. That's it. Time's up. I would like you to sit at your tables, and I would like you to ask this question. Some of those questions on the table talk sheet. What is God teaching you lately? How do the needs of the human body for food and activity teach us about our own spiritual needs for growth? What is your plan to hear and obey the Word of God this week, this week? If you're with your kids, change the questions so they're in accordance with your kids. If you're by yourself, please just jump over at another table if people feel comfortable. Just take a couple minutes, and if you have your kids and you say, my kids are not going to last, I understand that. Stay as long as you can. Um, try to have those conversations specifically with your kids now so that you don't lose that opportunity.